few years ago, I bought a set of tires for my car, and as I was completing the purchase, the person who sold me the tires told me that there was a rebate available for those tires. I think it totaled to something like 80 bucks. And he gave me uh, um, a card that kind of explained the rebate process, and I could either fill out a form on paper, or I could go to a website and submit my paperwork there. And so a day or two after I bought the tires, I went to the website, and I filled out the form, and I uploaded the whatever the documentation they required of us was, and I was summarily rejected for the rebate. Because the rebate had expired a couple days before I bought the tires. Has this ever happened to you? You ever responded to an offer and have and then been told that you didn't meet the terms and conditions? It's probably happened to most of us, and if not, I'm sure you're aware that it does happen because pretty much every offer that we encounter in life has terms and conditions to it. No offer is unconditional. Everything in life that is an offer has some kind of condition to it for the most part. And so many offers are bound by conditions. And if you don't meet the conditions, then you don't qualify for the offer. Here in James chapter 1, James has been teaching us about trials. He's been telling us that trials are something that we should not run away from or fear But rather, in a sense, we should be positive in our feelings toward them. We should choose joy when it comes to trials because God uses trials in our lives. He uses trials to develop perseverance. That is a faith that endures. And that faith that endures over time perfects us. It completes us as Christians. And so the problems, the stresses, the disappointments in life, all the things that could challenge our faith, even persecution, especially persecution, all the things that could challenge our faith and make us want to walk away from following Jesus, God uses to build perseverance in us. And that perseverance completes what's lacking in our Christian life. Now, at the end of my last message from this paragraph, I talked about God's assistance to us in trials. We're not alone when we face trials in this life. God offers us various kinds of assistance in the trials of life. And the one that James talks about, particularly in James chapter 1, verse 5, is that God offers us wisdom when we pray to him. Remember, James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, and in context, it's wisdom about how to respond to the trials of life. When we find ourselves in a difficult, perplexing situation, and we want to glorify God, but we're not really sure how to do it, the Bible says God offers us something. He offers us wisdom. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And I told you the last time that that's actually a command. It, should, it could read, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. And then following that phrase, we are told something about God that he gives generously to all without finding fault. And then the verse ends with a promise. And that promise is, and it will be given to him. God's word tells us that when we go to God during the moments of trial and we ask him for wisdom, God offers us and promises to us the provision of wisdom in those moments to assist us as we walk through the trials 
of this life. And so this is God's offer to us. It's an offer of wisdom. God's wisdom is available to us if we ask God for it, according to James chapter 1, verse 5. But as we come this morning to our passage for today, verses 6 through 8, we're going to see that though God offers us wisdom, just like most other offers, his wisdom has, it comes with a condition. There's only one condition, but it's an important one. God offers us wisdom in trials under one condition. God offers us wisdom in trials under one condition. And that one condition is we need to ask in faith. We must believe and not doubt. The one condition that God tells us we must have in order to receive the offer of wisdom is the condition of faith. The one condition is ask in faith. Or to use the NIV's terminology, you must believe and not doubt. Now, just like I needed to meet the conditions to get the rebate for my tires, so God says to receive the wisdom he offers us in trials. We need to be aware of the one condition, and we need to make our prayer for wisdom in a way that meets that one condition, in a way that exercises faith in God. So faith is the condition that God requires for us to receive the wisdom that he so generously promises to us in verse 5. But what is faith exactly? What does James mean when he says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, or in some translations, you must ask in faith? The answer is, is pretty easy to come up with. It means believe that God will answer the prayer. It means believe that when you ask God for wisdom, wisdom will be the result, that God will respond to your prayer by providing you the wisdom that you ask him for. But we need to drill down on the idea of faith, I think, a bit, because I think it's shrouded. The word faith or the idea of believing God is shrouded in a lot of unclear and even false ideas. In our world, when people use the word faith, I mean, like in a secular context, it often appears in the phrase, leap of faith. People will say, I took a leap of faith and did something as a result. I I took some kind of action. Or they might say, well, take a leap of faith and try this mode of action. I think the phrase leap of faith I believe it, and I know that it's not a biblical way to describe what James is describing here in our passage. But I think we should consider what the phrase leap of faith is indicating as we think about what it means to pray in faith. When I hear, take a leap of faith in a secular context, most of the time I think what the person is saying is, do something irrational. That is, try some action without knowing whether or not the action is smart or dumb, without knowing what kind of result will come from that action. If I go to the top of this building and take a leap of faith off of it, that's a foolish decision to make because we understand the laws of gravity and I understand my aging body 
And I know what will happen after I leap off of the building. And so no matter what I think might happen or hope might happen in my leap of faith off the building, I'm going to pay a price because my faith was not rooted and grounded in something real. It was simply hope that some good thing might result. And I think when people say, I'm going to take a leap of faith, I think that's what they're after. I think that's what they're saying. They're saying, I don't really know what to do, so I'm just going to try something. I'm going to hope to God that something good results from it. I think that's what the world means when it says, take a leap of faith. That is not what God's word means. When God's word talks about faith, and when this passage commands us to pray in faith for wisdom, Faith in the scripture is always rooted in the character of God, the person of God himself, and in the promises of God. Let me say that again because I think it's really important. Faith in scripture is always rooted in the person of God, who he is, and the promises of God. Yes, it's true that when we exercise faith, we often, we usually don't really know what the outcome of that act of faith is going to be. When we pray to God for wisdom and faith, we don't know what wisdom God is going to provide or where he's going to provide it from. So there is an element of uncertainty always when we exercise faith. The uncertainty, though, is about the outcome. It's not about whether or not something good will happen. Because if we exercise faith in a biblical way, we are doing it according to the person of God, who he is, and the promises of God. Now, all of this is expressed in verse 5 that we looked at last time. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom in verse 5, let him ask of God. And it says, God gives generously to all. That's his person. That's who he is, his character. God is generous with wisdom, and he is abundant. He's all wise. But then it says, let him ask it, or it says, uh, let him ask of God who gives to all uh, generously and does not find fault, and it will be given to him. That's a promise. That's the promise of God. The Bible doesn't tell us how exactly God will provide us with wisdom, and it doesn't tell us that the wisdom God provides will be necessarily something that we like. But it does say that if we ask God for wisdom and we ask in faith, we'll receive it. And so the prayer that we are commanded to make in this passage, in the moments of trials, when our faith is being tested, And we don't know how to respond to that test. We don't know the right way to go. We don't know what action we should take. And we turn to God and we ask him for wisdom. That request is based on the character of God, his generosity, and the promises of God. And so when James tells us now here in verse 6 that we need to ask, and when we ask, we must believe and not doubt. He is telling us that the request that we make for for wisdom from God has to meet that condition. It has to be something that is offered to us or that something that we offer, that we ask of God in faith in order to receive the promise that God makes to us in the moments of trial when we ask him for wisdom. And so the one condition that God tells us to have is we must ask in faith. Now, I think one of the struggles, definitely one of the struggles that I have as I've thought through this passage and I've tried to apply it to my own life and to think about teaching it to you this morning 
is my very um, great awareness that my faith is far from perfect. And I think that when we hear that there's a condition, when we ask God for wisdom, and that condition is that we must ask in faith, I think there's, I don't know about you, but I feel a great sense of uncertainty that I can ever really have good enough faith. And so we need to talk about what exactly is good enough faith. Other passages of Scripture tell us that it does not take an immense amount of faith in order to receive what God has promised. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus said, If you have faith as small as what? A mustard seed. It's tiny. You can do what God says you can do. You can receive the promise that he makes. So you don't need a ton of faith. The quality of faith that you need, though, is a pure kind of faith. Again, in our passage in verse 6, it says, But when you ask, you must believe, that's the condition, and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. This passage begins to fill in what a lack of faith looks like. It begins to tell us how we know when our praying and asking God for wisdom during the trials of life is not the kind of prayer that God is going to answer. The rest of this verse tells us what the quality of our faith needs to look like. And it's indicated at the end of that verse in uh, James 1.6 when it says, You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That image of a wave of the sea describes the kind of prayer that God will not answer in the moments of trial. And that is a wavering kind of prayer. Now, the image here in verse 6 that it's like a wave of the sea, maybe that evokes the wrong idea for you. And so let's dig into this image a little bit. When we think of waves, I don't know about you, but when I think of waves, I think of waves crashing into the shore. I think of standing on the shore of Lake Michigan or standing on the shore of the ocean and watching the tide come in. But that's not the image that James wants us to have. That kind of a wave is actually stable enough that you could surf on it, right? But when James tells us that we need to have faith and not doubt because one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, he's not talking about the kind of waves that's come ashore. He's talking about the kind of waves that you encounter when you are deep out into the ocean, away from everything. Those kinds of waves as he says, are, are um, blown and tossed by the wind. That is, they are inherently unstable. And if you, vis- if you envision uh, somebody out in the middle of the sea, or maybe you're like kind of hovering above like in a helicopter, and you're looking at some small object that's out there in the ocean. And as the winds pick up and begin to um, blow, they toss whatever it is, a cork or you know, a, some, something that floats, begins to toss it back and forth, and there's no, there's no um, line to the motion, there's no stability to it whatsoever. That's what James is talking about. This kind of wave is blown about by every wind. There's no stability to it. It's lacking in any kind of real, meaningful foundation. It's not something you can really build your life on at all. In fact, it'll make you seasick if you spend enough time out there 
on the waves that are going back and forth, blown about by the wind. James says this is what happens when we pray to God for wisdom, but we have doubts in our minds about whether God is actually going to provide that wisdom. When we have doubts in our minds about whether or not God is going to provide us with wisdom, it means that we have some serious instability in our asking, some serious instability in our prayers. We have vague hopes that God may hopefully help us out in some way, but in reality, we have a seeking, a sneaking submission. We have a seeking, a sneaking suspicion. We have a sneaking suspicion. I can't even say it. Ugh. We suspect in a sneaking way that God might not actually answer our question, our prayers. That the wisdom we need from God might never arrive. What is God's response to that kind of prayer? When we pray to God, but we don't really know or really believe that he's going to answer his prayer, what is God's response to that? The answer is that God will not give wisdom if the condition of faith is not met. God will not give wisdom if the condition of faith is not met. Verse 7 says this, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Of course, that person refers to the person who prays in doubt. The person who does not have faith when they ask God for wisdom. Instead, they wonder if God will provide. They doubt that God will provide. The Bible says someone who prays that way should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. God is not honored. He's not glorified by a prayer that's shrouded in doubt. And I, wanna, um, I want us to think about what this actually means. I don't know about you, but th this is a little bit different than what my struggle is in these moments. In my life, if I, ask, if I have doubts that God wants a certain thing to happen in my life, I don't pray with doubts. I usually just don't pray. And that's a sin. That's not taking God at his word. It's an evidence of my own weakness. It's an evidence of my own unbelief. And so maybe sometimes we doubt God and therefore we don't pray at all. But James envisions here a different kind of person. The kind of person who goes ahead and prays for wisdom. But in their praying for wisdom, they, often, they actually have a, a feeling that they're not going to get anything. That it's, in a sense, almost a waste of time. And maybe an illustration here might help. And so let me give you an illustration that might help you think about what kind of praying James is describing here. I've never bought a lottery ticket in my life. And it's because I don't believe I'll win. I know people do win the lottery, but I also know what the odds are. And I know that it's extremely unlikely that I'll win anything if I buy a lottery ticket or buy a lot of lottery tickets. The game is rigged in the state's favor. It's a way for them to make money at the expense of people who need money. And so I've never bought a lottery ticket in my life, and I don't expect I ever will buy one. But 
even though I don't believe in the lottery and nor do I believe that I will ever win the lottery, let's imagine a scenario where I'm walking along and I find a lottery ticket on the ground. And it's a current lottery ticket. It's not yesterday's that's been lost and discarded, but it's actually one for today's lottery. And as I pick up that lottery ticket and look around, I don't see anybody else around. And I don't see a store where it might have come from. In other words, there's no way for me to say, hey, did you drop this? Is this your lottery ticket? It's mine because there's nobody else who could claim it. I've never bought a lottery ticket because I don't believe in the lottery. But if I found a lottery ticket, I'm pretty sure I would check to see if it was a winner or not. Because really, what's to lose? I didn't spend money on the ticket. And in my non-belief, I could just throw it away knowing that it's probably not going to win. But honestly, just checking the numbers to see if it won something isn't going to hurt me at all just takes a few moments of time, I guess. I've never done it, so I don't really know how it works, but I'm sure there's some kind of instructions on how to find out if you're a winner or not. If you follow those instructions, it might take a little bit of time, but really for the potential upside, the time you spend on it really doesn't matter. Here's the thing about a lottery ticket though. I don't have to believe it to work in order for it to work if it's the right numbers. In other words, I can have complete doubt, complete unbelief in the lottery, but if I find one and I check on it and the numbers match, I win whether I believe in it or not. And I think sometimes people approach prayer that way. They don't really think that God hears our prayers or answers prayers, but they think prayer's free, so why not try it? They think it's like a lottery ticket, that maybe it'll pay off even if I don't believe in it. Well, Scripture teaches us just the opposite, right here in James chapter 1, verse 7. James says that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It's not, prayer is not like a vending machine, where if you put in the right coins and push the button, you get the result, whether you believe in the vending machine or not. Prayer is personal. Because it's part of a relationship that you either have or don't have with the living God. And all of that relationship, every piece of it, is based on faith. And if you have faith in God, then you are in the kind of position, the kind of position of wholehearted dependence on God that glorifies him. And gives him the opportunity to show his power in your life. Apparently, there are some kinds of people who pray just because prayer is free and it can't hurt, but they don't really believe that God is going to answer their prayer for wisdom. The Bible says that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. God will not give wisdom, even though he promises it and even though he's abundant in wisdom. He will not give it if the condition of faith is not met. Now, why is this the case? Why isn't it that prayer works like a winning lottery ticket does, where it works whether you believe in it or not? Why isn't prayer like a vending machine, where if you put in the right cosmic coins, the wisdom comes out when you push the button? The answer to that is given to us in the next verse. Whoops. Verse 8, if I can get back to it. Never mind. Verse 8 says this, Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. 
Why is it that God does not answer prayers that are offered in anything less than pure faith? The answer is because prayers that are not offered in faith reveal something about the condition of the person praying. Or put it this way, your spiritual condition is the reason for God's condition of faith. Now, I'm using the word condition in two ways there. When I say your spiritual condition, I mean your spiritual state. The place where you are in your relationship with God. And when I use the word condition at the end of the verse, I'm using it the way I've been using it throughout this message, meaning here's something you must do, a condition that must be satisfied in order for the result to happen. In verse 8, when James tells us that a person who prays without faith is a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways, what he's saying is the reason that God does not honor a prayer offered in doubt is not because there's something wrong with God, but rather it's because there's something wrong with us. Our faith is not genuine faith in God. It's conditional. It's belief in God when it benefits me, but it's also wanting to keep my options open. See, that's when, when, when uh, James calls us a double-minded man in verse 8, when he says a person who acts this way, verse 8, is a double-minded person. That word means double-souled, and it's only used twice in Scripture, once here and once in James chapter 4. It describes the kind of person who wants to have faith in God, but also wants to put faith in themselves, in their own wisdom, in their own ability to solve problems. It's the kind of person who wants to borrow from Scripture and from the world. That person is unstable because they don't have their faith in one particular place. God does not answer prayers for wisdom from the unstable spiritually because the whole point of your trials in life and the whole point of going to God in prayer, is that God wants to strengthen and purify your faith and prove whether your faith is genuine in him or not. Remember earlier in the passage, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you, cons- whenever you encounter trials of many kind, because you know that the trial of your faith produces perseverance. And I told you that perseverance is the ability to believe in God no matter what. From the time you trust in Christ to the end of your life, the Bible says a true believer will persevere in faith and good works. Not perfect. But we never give up believing in Jesus. And we never give up living and trying to live according to his word by his grace. A person who is double-minded, who is double-souled, who is unstable in all his ways, doesn't have a persevering kind of faith. They have an equivocating kind of faith. They have the kind of faith that wants to ride the bike, but with one foot on the ground at the same time. It's a kind of faith that wants to trust God and says it wants to trust God, but really doesn't. It trusts in self instead. When you encounter the trials in life, God offers us the immense grace of his wisdom. And receiving that offer is really easy. You just have to ask for it, but you have to ask meeting one condition. And that condition is believe. Put the entirety of your life in the hands of God. 
And believing in faith means believing that God will provide the wisdom and that you will act according to that wisdom. That when God gives you the answer from Scripture or from godly counselors or just in some other way, when God provides you the answer and the wisdom that you need, it's a belief that says, okay, I'm going to do what God says here, even if it seems strange to me, even if it doesn't seem like it's going to work. That's the kind of faith that God is building in us. And when we pray in a way that's lacking faith, we're evidencing either that our faith is still in process, that the perseverance still needs to be developed in us, or that we don't actually have genuine faith at all. Many a person came to the altar and professed faith in Christ and followed Christ in believer's baptism and started walking the Christian walk until they encountered trials. When they encountered trials, they may have asked for God's wisdom, but they didn't really believe that God was going to assist them. And when God's wisdom didn't arrive for them, or when it required something of them that they couldn't bring themselves to do, they turned their back on Jesus Christ. That shows that they were not completely single-minded in their faith, but rather they had this double-souled thing going on. So the message, the lesson for us today is simply this. Believing God for wisdom when we pray in trials is an intentional act of faith. That's the big idea for today's message. God offers us his wisdom in trials, but it takes an intentional act of faith to believe that God will give us wisdom when we ask for it. And I don't know what trials you're facing in your life. I don't know where your faith is being put to the test. I don't know if it's a financial issue, a health issue, a relationship issue. I don't know what it is. But I know that God puts us in those times of trial to test our faith, to test whether it's really genuine or not, or whether we're the double-souled kind of person that's described in this passage. Or whether it's genuine, but it needs to be strengthened, it needs to be purified. That's what trials do. And in those moments of trials, we are not on our own. In fact, being on our own and acting on our own is the last thing we need to do. Instead, God's word tells us the first instinct we ought to have is to go to God in faith and ask him for his wisdom. The truth of the matter is, I think, at least in my own life, is that often asking for God's help in trial is kind of the last resort. But God calls us in this passage to consider our lives. Believing God for wisdom when we pray in trials is an intentional act of faith. Let me call you to go to God in faith. And, and like, the, like the man who asked God for healing and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes that's a prayer we need to pray too. God offers us tremendous wisdom in Christ. but it's conditioned on faith. So believing God for wisdom when we pray in trials is, going, is an intentional act of faith.